everybody. It's good to be in uh, Sunday school this morning. Um, Let's all stand. We'll have a word of prayer. Dear gracious Father, Lord, we want to come before you with an open heart, Lord, open our, our cups uplifted, Lord, that Maybe that if you would come down and, and speak with us a little bit this morning, maybe bless my, my mind and my lips with your anointing with, for the Sunday school, just as a little Sunday school lesson that maybe the people could be encouraged and blessed and they could take something from it, that they could be encouraged to go forward with, with, with greater faith and that they could stand against the wickedness of this age, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Um, while we're standing, I want to do a quick, just a quick uh, reading of the scripture um, in Deuteronomy chapter five, in verse two. Um. We'll start at, at verse 1, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 1. It says, um, And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep and, uh, and, keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. Lord, add his blessing to the word. You may be seated. Um, So... The way I, I kind of came about, I, I wanted to do a little bit of a, a study of Deuteronomy. It's, it's kind of really kind of become a little bit of a new book to me um, somewhat recently just because um, I, I heard a, a Bible scholar um, talking about um, some of the ancient, various ancient uh, things in the, in the scripture. And, and he mentioned that one of the ways that they were able to, as historians, kind of place um, the book of Deuteronomy in in the timeline historically is that the way it's written, it follows very similarly to a certain pattern that they find in other writings of the day. Amen. Specifically, there's a um, type of treaty. They're known as covenant treaties that are, were primarily out of the um, Hittite kingdom, the Hittite empire, and but they also were just around the whole sort of Middle Eastern area, even down into Egypt and things like that, places like that. And there's a certain structure to these to these treaties. And the idea was that in those ancient times um, that people had certain um, obligations and duties and, and moral obligations that you had to fulfill in order to be, you know, a good person, right? You know, you have obligations to your family. You take care of your family. You... you um, you know, you, you're, you're, you have obligations and, and the way you behave towards people is, is you know, there's bond, a bond of kinship between you and your family that you kind of, you have to uphold to that. 
And so when your family's in need, you help your family. When, when, you know, there's, you know, if they come under attack, then you go to defend them. Things like this. Well, if you're not part of the family, well, tough luck. You're not part of the family. Get call your own family, you know. But when you have somebody that you need to build a bond with, you need to build a covenant with that's not part of your family, what they would do, they would build these covenant treaties. And the, and the idea within the covenant was that by both parties coming together and, and signing on to this covenant, you are becoming family. Right. We actually understand this, um, and they, they would do this in those times as well. But the way that we would do this, we can see a, a version of this in the modern time is through marriage, um, which you might get into later. But the idea is that, you know, here's somebody who is not your flesh and blood, but you're going to build a bond and a covenant with that person who then becomes your ultimate kinship. Yeah. Right. Even, you know, the Bible says that a man would leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. So here's, you know, even, even your wife would even become more kin to you, who's ideally not related. Yeah. Um, and, yet, and yet she's more kin to you than even your, your own blood relations. And so, likewise, you know, you, with these, when you'd have two great kingdoms, you know, two kings would meet to build a covenant with each other. Um, we can see in these ancient treaties that they, they would refer to each other as brothers, right? That, they, that because they have now have this covenant with each other, they are now brothers. But that's if you have two equals, right? We, we actually see this if, when there's a, a, we have a copy of one of these treaties in which the Egyptians met with the Hittites, and it refers to the Pharaoh and the king of the Hittites as brothers. But what we're a little bit more interested in is this other type of treaty in which one, which, which the parties are not equal. This is what they called um, a suzerain treaty, uh, suzerain vassal treaty. It's the, it's the historical term that they use. A suzerain is an ancient term or a Middle Eastern term for, in English, what we would might refer to as like a lord. Um, so we would, in a, in a vassal, it would be like a, a nation that is subservient to a much larger, more powerful nation. So what would happen is you would have a great powerful king come in and he would make a covenant with some much smaller nation and the 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 purpose of the covenant was that the smaller nation now owes allegiance and loyalty and taxes and tribute and all of these things to the larger nation but the larger nation more powerful nation owes them protection and, and if they come under attack, his, his armies are going to protect them. That if there's famine in the land, he, he's going to muster his kingdom to provide food. He's going to take care of them. And the idea there was that it was a, the greater king was the father and the lesser nation was, their, was his children. And so when under that kind of treaty, there's a certain framework that we see in all these different treaties that we found through various kingdoms. And if you look at the book of Deuteronomy, it hits every single one of the, of the criteria that we would use for one of those treaties, that it is literally God, the Father, making a covenant to his children and saying, I, am, I have declared myself your king. And, here's, and, and so he, he goes through a bunch of um, 
And because it, it follows that framework, historians were able to place, they were able to authenticate Deuteronomy as a, as a, as a historical document. Um, that they were able to, modern um, you know, biblical historians use that as a major indicator because the idea here being that the people of the time would have been very familiar with that type of, of contract, that type of treaty. And so, especially Moses having been educated in Egypt, he would have been very well familiar with this framework. So when the Lord is coming to him and the, he's writing this out, it's, it's matching this contract framework and he's able to recognize, recognize and it, and it, 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 that it's, 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 it's the, the Lord trying, trying to present this in a way, in a way that, that the people, people are going to understand. understand. That, that it is his legally binding contract with his children. That, that binds them as his family. Right? Um, and so there's a couple, a couple things that we can, I, I would like to um, go through that at some point. Um, but... I, I want to lay a little bit more framework first. Um, the other thing that to bear in mind about the historical context of the book of Deuteronomy is that the, the, if you read through it, and this is pretty evident from just reading the, the book, um, it's the last thing Moses writes before the children of Israel enter the promised land. And it's this, it's Moses laying out, you know, discussing the covenant, discussing the history of where the children of Israel came from, why they're there, what they're doing. And it's his instructions of you're going, getting ready to enter the promised land, and this is what you can expect when you get there. This is what you need to do to enter the promised land. This is how you're going to go about it. This is the things that you need to bear in mind once you get into the promised land. This is, you know, when you encounter troubles, here's how you're going to uh, approach them. You know, here's your, how you're going to overcome these things. And here's how God expects you to behave once you get there. And it's, it's, it's the reason why I, I, I really appreciate this is because, and I'm, and I'm sure anybody who's um, well familiar with, with uh, the message may have, you might have heard of this before. Um, I like this, this particular quote, and this is in, from Questions and Answers. Brother Branham says, um, Canaan, right, the promised land, is a type of the Holy Ghost. Egypt, Egypt is a type, or is the world that they came out of. The wilderness is where they were sanctified, called out church. Canaan is where they settled down with the Holy Spirit, because they still had wars. And if you don't believe you have wars, just get the Holy Spirit once. Amen. Right? And so this... Once you kind of tie all these things together, right, that the, that the you know, the, the, the book of Deuteronomy is God's covenant with his people that, that ties them together as father and children and, and binds them all together. And it's his promise that, you know, here's, here is how, you know, who I am and, and why I'm going to take care of you. This is what I, you are now obligated to do. There's all kinds of blessings and curses associated with, with, obedience or disobedience, right? It's also your instructions of how to enter into the promised land. And for us, the spiritual context of this is this is our instructions in a type of how God expects us to enter into the Holy Spirit and what we can expect, you know, as Christians, as born-again Christians. And so 
it was such an edification to me because, you know, that statement where he says, you know, just get the Holy Spirit and you'll realize just how many worries you actually have. You know, so oftentimes we get this idea, we get this mentality that, oh, you know, especially if you're a new Christian or, you know, maybe, maybe you're just a, an old Christian who's been at this for a while. You know, you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to get the, you know, the, the, be a born-again Christian, and then my troubles will all be over. As like you're going you're gonna to break through and, and conquer, and then it's all going to be over. But that's really not true at all. That's, I mean, that's when your wars actually start. There's a, a um, you know, we, you know it, uh, when the children of Israel did enter into Canaan, you know, they have this, this first battle that they have is with Jericho, right? And it's a great, it's a great, you know, great victory. Everything, you know, the Lord just knocks the walls down and it's this great moment of conquest. It's a great moment of victory that they, you know, that they, they rejoice so much. But what they, you know, what, you know, their next battle that they fought, they got the stuffing beaten out of them. Yeah. Right? And so many times, you know, Christians, and especially, like I said, new Christians, will come along, they'll come along and they'll get the Holy Spirit, you know, they'll become a Christian, they get, become born again, and it's, it's all great and it's all wonderful. And they have a great victory in their life, this big stronghold in their life that was, you know, they were facing that they couldn't overcome. The Lord will just knock it down for them. And then the next thing that they come across will just run them right over. And they have, and it just, just falls flat. And then the first thing they do is scratch their head going, well, I guess not, I must not have been a Christian after all. Right? Well, I guess, you know, well, you know, there went that, you know, might as well pack it up and go back to Egypt. Right? Like, well, no, don't do that. <laughs> the problem is what happened was more like than not that first victory that you had, there's still some little piece of it hanging out in your life somewhere. Right? In, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, pull this up here, pull up the verse here. It's verse 22. Um, so this is, this is God telling the children of Israel to not be afraid of these strongholds that they're going to they're, they're face. Um, well, I'm going to go back to verse 19. It says, The great temptations which thine eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders, and the mighty hand, and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought the out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they that are left and hide themselves um, and hide themselves from thee be destroyed. Thou shalt not be affrighted of them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. It says, And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee, Little by little, or by little and little, um, thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. And so, again, reiterating that we have this idea that, you know, you become a Christian and you, you have this great victory in your life, and suddenly, well, you're not going to encounter any more hardships, right? There's no, there's no more uh, struggles. You're not going to have any problems within yourself that you're going to have to overcome, well, no, that's not how that works. The, the Lord gave a promise that it's going to be little by little, right? You're, you know, you're going you're gonna to conquer one stronghold, and he's not going to let you move on until that thing is annihilated, right? If there's any little piece of it left, you'll try to go on to something else, and you'll just fall flat on your face. 
until you go back to the last place that you got victory and really make sure you nailed that down. Right? Like, you better not have any, you know, any little shred of it. You know, oh, you know, people, so many times people want to get a victory in their life. And like, oh, yes, the Lord I gave me victory over this thing in my life. But, you know, here's the little remnants of it that I don't want to stomp out. You know, I want to keep some little thing here or there, that some little piece of this that I didn't want to totally destroy. Well, don't do that. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to end up not moving past that, and you're never going to have victory in your life until you really burn it all down. Until you're really willing to give up every little piece of that. You know, I, I found it so, you know, this morning I was thinking about this and, the, and it just so struck my heart. You know, the Lord has promised Israel a piece of land, you know, just a big patch of dirt. And so many people, that the, the, there was this moment where people had the opportunity to enter into that and possess the land that he had, he had promised them that was actually part of a covenant that he'd given to Abraham, right? They had, they had an obligation to take that land because they were the seed of Abraham. Um, I, I, it strikes me, um, if we turn to Galatians chapter 4, the Lord put this on my heart this morning, and I want to get to it. Um, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21, it says... Um, we're going to read all the way down to the end of the chapter. It says, uh, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which uh, guardeth or gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, um, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is the and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath made more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman, and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Okay. What struck me about this little passage of scripture is that here Paul is identifying that there is Mount Sinai in Arabia and another mountain of Jerusalem in Palestine. Okay. And that you have the children of, of Jerusalem, and then you have the children of Sinai. And that Sinai is of the bondwoman, which is in Arabia, and that Jerusalem is of the free woman, right, or the descendants of Sarah and therefore Isaac, which is in Palestine. Which, and the allegory that he's referring to is, of course, Hagar and Ishmael being the, the son, uh, you know, Ishmael being the son of Abraham through Hagar, and Isaac being the son of Abraham through Sarah. Okay, 
today we can see this playing out right now, right? You have Sinai, you have Arabia, which is controlled by the children of Ishmael to this day. I just recently saw a video of an, of an Arab man talking about the conflict in, in um, Gaza right now, talking about how, you know, the Arabs don't really have a squabble with Israel so much because they understand that they're the children of Ishmael and they have their inheritance and that Israel has their inheritance in Israel. And they don't really have a squabble with them because they're both under their inheritance as their, as their you know, father had. You know, this is... And so if we look at this in, 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 the, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, here you have Sinai, this place of the law, where you have under sanctification, you have people walking around under a law that they know they're supposed to do right, but there's, there's no real, there's no Holy Spirit within them to change them to make them do right. So they're constantly under judgment and bondage under a legalistic, dry, desert, wilderness system. But then you have, under the children of Jerusalem, Israel, they're of the free woman, in the promised land. And so you have the, where you had the children of Israel are walking around in the desert, around Sinai, they go up to the promised land, and they're, they were given the opportunity to enter into the promised land, and then they got afraid of the battles that they were going to face once they did so. And so they returned back and just walked around in varying degrees of sanctification for 40 years. Right? They just, they just didn't go anywhere. They never really entered into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so what's this is, this is an indication of, and you see this in the book of Deuteronomy, where he's telling the history of as they traveled to the promised land, they would come to various people. They came up to Moab. They came up to um, Edom. They came up to all these different places. And every time the Lord would say, you're not going to stay here. This is their inheritance, right? We come to the land of Edom. You're going to pass right through Edom. This is the inheritance of the children of Esau. This isn't your land. You're going somewhere else, okay? You're just going to pass through. You know, they would come up to Moab. Well, this is the inheritance of, the, you know, of Lot's children. We're not going to take that from them, right? We're going to go to our inheritance. And so it, what's an indication is when they got to the, to the border and ready to enter into the promised land and then they chose not to do it, what they're doing is implicitly saying, we are not seed of Abraham. Because if they were, they would have gone to their inheritance. You can't, how are you going to say that you're a seed of Abraham if you're not conquering and, and dwelling in your inheritance? Right? This is why Brother Brandon would say that a, that a Jew outside of the Holy Land is backslid, right? And so likewise, as Christians, so many times we'll encounter these situations. You know, people will be, see these strongholds and they'll say, well, you know, I can't do that, right? They'll, they'll, be, they'll know that they should be living right. They'll know that they should be, you know, because they have the law, right? They've been taught what's right and wrong. They know what they ought to be doing, but they'll say, ah, I can't live a Christian life because, these mini giants of, you know, bitterness or lust or, or uh, a gr you know, grudges and anger and all these things that they, they don't see a way how in their own flesh that they can overcome, right? Because as, as Christians, the Lord hasn't really given us a patch of dirt, so to speak, somewhere. We don't have a, a piece of real estate to go declare the Holy Land and declare our inheritance, He's just given us this human flesh dirt that is our inheritance, 
right? And so many times we'll look at our own flesh that is completely corrupted with the seed of Cain, right? Full of giants of, of all these things within us that, you know, of desires and, 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 um, and you know, uh, just things that we can't overcome, that we can never overcome within ourselves, and say, well, these giants are way too big for us. So clearly this Holy Ghost thing isn't for me, right? Clearly this, and so, and so people will just back away from it and say, well, I can never give up whatever it is, right? You have some, you know, addiction or whatever, and, 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 and then they'll just back away from it and, and then just go off into the wilderness for 40 years. But the call is, the call is, to, is to say, but you can. It's, it's, the, it's to have the faith to say, yeah, the giants are going to remain there even once I possess it, and I'm going to have to take years of growth to overthrow those strongholds, but, but little by little I'm going to possess everything that the Lord has promised me. And uh, that went by really quick, and I had a lot more material. Um, so we'll have to end it there. Um, maybe I'll get an opportunity to kind of continue this thought. I have a lot more material on it. Um, but we'll stand and turn it over to the musicians. And I hope that was an encouragement to you. And um, we'll have a word of prayer here. Oh, Father, Lord, we, we want to come before you this morning and, and thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, Lord. That maybe something that would have been said or heard would, would have touched a people's heart and that they would be able to hold on to it and they would go forward in faith and recognize that anything that the devil would come before them is, is, a, is a lie. Father, they have a right to possess their, their promised land, Lord. They have a right to their inheritance of peace and of joy and, and, and of deliverance of anything that would hold them bound. So, Father, Lord, just be with your people. Open our hearts, Lord. We, we open our hearts to you, Lord, and ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us and that we invite you into this congregation, Lord, as the musicians come. We want to worship your name and worship your who you are, Father, and that you would be pleased to come down and dwell with us a little bit this morning. Father, come speak to us in the preaching of the word, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you.